0: Hello, we're kicking off our special Oscar Contenders series of the Dolby Institute and Soundworks Collection podcast series. Uh, I'm here with Mark Ulano, who is the president of the Cinema Audio Society. I just turned out, so... I stand corrected, He was the former president of the Cinema Audio I did, Society.
1: I did the full terms possible. Carol well,
0: uh, Urban is our new president. Okay, Carol Urban is coming in. now emeritus. Um, But I am
1: president of the Sound Local, the uh, the longest sitting president of all the West Coast IA locals right now. Well, there you go. Fifth term, 15 years. Can't believe it.
0: Sorry. Mark, usually um, for these special Oscar conversations, we kind of have a round table with all the people who are nominated on a particular film. But because Mark is double nominated this year, uh, up for two Oscars, one for... uh, uh, best Sound Mixing for Ad Astra, and then another nomination for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I thought it would be fun just to ha- kind of feature you and make you the star of the show and have a wow. Have just a sit down conversation with you about your art and what it's like to get two Oscar nominations in one year. Okay. So congratulations and welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank um, you. Let me kick off with, uh, so Ad Astra and Once Upon a Time in, in Hollywood. So you're, you're Brad Pitt's best friend.
1: Wha- <laughs> It's uh, those are our second and third movies with him, uh, the first being *Inglorious Bastards*, and uh, I can only say it's an incredible privilege because he's an absolutely dedicated, committed professional, and you couldn't imagine two more opposite uh, cinema experiences in terms of production, and pr- approach, and uh, intent and outcome, and. Um, Brad is central to, to both pieces in so many ways. Um, on Ad Astra, he's also, it's his company producing. He produced the film as well, right? He produced, um, and he's in every single thing in that, including a lot of wire work and inverted weightlessness and space suits that are, you know, everything that you could imagine it would be physically, um, you know, demanding for a performer. Um, Brad, you know, succumbed to throughout that and, and never, never didn't come completely Ready and engaged and committed and uh, you know all for the project. There was no ego involved at all. It was wonderful.
0: It's great to hear stories like that. It's about, the truth, you yeah. know.
1: I mean, he's um, he's pretty special.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know? Well, I tease you, but uh... you know, I don't get
1: compensated for that. That's my <laughs> that's my personal experience with having worked with the guy, you know. And, and if I add up the months, it's it's a few years of, of production time together that you've Between, spent with him. Yeah, eight months and ten months and then I mean s- seven months and then maybe four and so it's in long duration.
0: Well, it's but you know, typically with these conversations, we're focusing on the, the post-production side of things, but mm-hmm. you're the production sound mixer on mm-hmm. these films. So the the audience for our podcast is, it, it, there There are a lot of professionals who listen in, but we also have a lot of students and a lot of just film fans as well. Mm-hmm. So if, if you'll indulge me for a second, if we sure. could just take a step back and can you uh, give, uh, give our folks just a little bit of an understanding about what a production sound mixer does?
1: Sure. Um, First of all, our primary goal is is to tell stories. We're, um, we capture performance in a way that basically creates the, the connection between the audience and the characters. So, we lay the bed. Um, you'll hear a lot, uh, particularly recent times, of comments regarding, uh, you know, just capture the discrete elements and we'll fix it later. That's actually not a real representation of what happens, at least at the high end. What mm-hmm. happens at the high end is, we're mixers, we mix, right. and what does that mean? Um, for me, my personal approach has evolved quite a bit over the say 40 years that I'm doing this, um, but, but it's, it's centrally about coming without ideology and, and, and embracing and immersing in the material that you're taking on and, and um, developing a, a set of solutions and approach that are conducive to the director's intent to the characters and who they are, the journey they're on, and the environment in which they have those journeys. So my, my conversations and, and collaborations with, with directors and, and actors are, is about that, about character. I'm not talking about microphones and impedance and, and choices. I'm talking about you know, where are we going? Right. And how do we keep that imagination alive? So we're sitting in a dark room with strangers and they're, they're experienced up on a screen you never lose connection with the truth of the character that's been constructed, you know? So so that's what I do. I'm, I'm always seeking to have a strategy that connects me that way in the frame of the director's intent, which right. is never one thing. Right. You could work with the same director for many years and each project's got its own unique capacity. So what does that mean? An analogy would be the cinematographer. He brings an, a, a complete Portfolio of tools to to set. He brings a, you know, a full set of lenses to uh-huh. be to be n- more narrow about that. Um, I can take a, I can I can do this shot scale with you with a, with a hundred millimeter lens backed off with a fifty millimeter lens with a twenty five and have the same shot scale. Right. And each okay. one of those is saying something different.
0: They have a very different feel.
1: They, they each are communicating something different, and that is that intentional capacity of use is how I, I approach working with with the tools that we have, you know. And so,
0: well, I'm really interested in, in, in what you just said. That's fascinating to me because I hadn't thought about that. Obviously, when you change focal lengths and lenses, and you can move in and out, you can keep the person in the same relative scale within the frame. But but they're communicating something very different from an emotional standpoint. So, what do you? How do you? How are you kind of doing something similar on a sound uh, in a sound system when you're on the set recording?
1: Well, I, I'll I'll put it this way. Um, it's not hard and fast, but if I were to give it sort of you know categories, um, and I and I do that carefully, but what it, I would say it, it really has to do with almost internal and external, first person, third person, observational, and and being inside the head, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and. You may be floating back and forth, but it really is tied to where we are in the story and where we are with the character. Um, And what is being created on the part of the the performer uh, in terms of the character. So it's all interactive. Um, You can read a script and you can see a call sheet and you can have uh, an enormous amount of information you've been there on the on the scout you have an idea of the dialogue between the director and the cinematographer about, about what we're, you know but until the day happens and you're there physically at the set and everyone has come together and all the elements are now coalescing into actually making the takes you don't have the truth
0: mm-hmm.
1: the truth is really revealed in that in that collaboration between the actors director the image and all the other artisans that are on board. In the orchestra of making a movie, the crew is really like an orchestra, you know, intense commitment to their particular instruments, Mm -hmm. but most coming into the world in full potential when they play together and make, and they play the the composition together. So I I experience, I come out of music, I'm I'm a second generation percussionist, and, and my move in my teen years to, my passion from that into movies has always sort of fed my my universe, and so I, I, I look like at it that way, I say, yeah. okay, what is, what is the intent here? And then I, then I try and develop um, an approach that somewhere in my head, mm-hmm. you know, it's not like I, I, I get three pounds of close-up in my head, it's like in my head I, <laughs> like, uh, my head, I, I hear a thing that, that somehow connects with what that is. Um, and I think that comes for me from investing early on in pre-production, you know, um, the, the way I break down a script and invest in that, the way I explore my colleagues in the other departments and where they're coming from and um, both inside the sound side, you know, um, I won't, I, I'm deeply, I, I'm, I'm a prep junkie. Mm-hmm. You know, Mike uh, Minkler and I or Wiley and I are going to get together in pre-production and, and go to brunch and we'll spend four hours going page by page or five edge or Mark Mangini or whatever. Sure. We will go through the work as it is on the page and then, you know, what do you think? And, right. I, you know, I'm kind of thinking that, you know, th- and, and we'll have in this circumstance with this director, speaking of Quentin, a strong instinct about, where our contribution will be absorbed and appreciated and mm-hmm. um, with with the knowledge that nothing's set in stone, you know, this idea may or may not fly. And that all comes out when you're there on the day and the tr- that truth I'm talking about, yeah, you know, that, that that happens. So it's very exciting because you can prepare and should prepare as much as you can and be a perpetual student about the tools that come like an ocean over us <laughs> every year in terms of, Possibilities, but if you never lose sight that you're in the pro, your job is to tell the story, right? And that's something we've been doing since we lived in caves as humans <laughs> around fires, is tell stories, and yeah. we're the current stewards of that of that craft. And um, as long as that is your purpose, you think directorially, not in a preemptive way, but in a supportive way to the intent of the director and his or hers. Um, concept of where we're going and how we get there and to, you know, uh, deal with the technique and technology in the way that serves that and also to recognize in deep sense of respect that everyone on a movie is a technical person. Right. I think the most technical work on a movie set is acting. Day one, we're doing the final scene of the movie. Sure. Day 17, it's the first, it's the first shot in That's the movie right. and then on wrap... You know, it's the, it's the you know, midpoint of the movie where, you know, the entire story turns. An actor, a journeyman actor, has to be able to calibrate the particular piece that they're doing now so that when it falls into the proper chronology, the character's arc, makes, arc sense. It makes sense. How technical right. is that? It's, right. it's profoundly technical <clears throat> and it's invisible. Right. And the great ones, you know, the Sam Jacksons of the world or whatever, you know, that are just, uh, you know, you know he has a nickname, by the way. You know among other actors. You know
0: you know what it is. What's well, Sam Jackson's nickname? The Beast. <laughs> How did he earn that?
1: Because he always comes and delivers. He's right. you, you he's never not invested, never not ready, never not prepared, and never not bringing it. You know, I mean there there's a whole host of those. You know, the, these grand iconic actors, and Quentin attracts them sure. to his films because they know they're gonna be in that environment where they're at their maximum potential. It's not only appreciated, it's invited and, and, and well, hoped for.
0: Everybody's playing at the, at the top of their game on a corner
1: They're invited, film. that's right, you know. I like
0: what you said about that, because you tend to think, you know, people tend to think of, like, certain people on the movie set as artists and certain people on the movie set as technicians, but everybody's really both.
1: Every artist is a technician. Right. The foundation, you know, if you're painting, what do you, you know, you know you learn pigments and color and perspective and, and, and you know, every, Means of commun- writing is tech You know, it's what we. It's weird. We're in a time where the word technical is somehow a dividing line, a class system almost. Of mm-hmm. uh, you know that you know we don't respect. You know, one of the things I do is I try and go out and meet all the manufacturers of the tools that we make. Mm-hmm. Uh, visit their factories. We you know this year I visited the Sheps factory in Germany, and I've been to, the, you know, I, there's about 15 of those that I, I won't bore you with it. But the idea to meet the the passionate, dedicated, committed artists, engineers that create tools for us to use to do what we do and not see a piece of metal and plastic and, and you know, but see the person behind it and the idea and, and have the relationship so that as they keep making what they're doing better, you get to be in a dialogue with them about, you know, if this did this and when we're... Right. And so it's, it's really about trust and respect up and down the chain so that you s- see the, the process holistically yeah. Does that make any sense? It totally does. And, yeah. and and I think that really affects possible you know you know, potential percentage wise and to the positive side for outcomes with films. Right. And Quentin is the master of appreciating collaboration without feeling in any way invaded or 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 or, you know, he's so comfortable with his own skin. He's not so,
0: threatened by that at all.
1: No, it's like this is you know someone asked him. Where did he find Julia Butters? You know, you know the, the nine year old girl who steals every so scene. She, I mean, you should the see the scene that's not in the movie that she did. <laughs> no, it's unbelievable. Um, and and Quentin's answer is in a gold mine. You know? Yeah, exactly. Because he understands that the 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 director's job is to coalesce all of those elements in a way that that co- that makes irresistible the investment of the audience in 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 the work and. Well, I really, I love,
0: that. I, I love that distinction that you made too um, about first ber- first person versus third person kind yeah. of kind of viewpoint in a, in a film, and and it's interesting to me that you're nominated for Ad Astra and for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood because I think those that's that's a great kind of juxtaposition. how different, right? Ad, Ad Astra for me is a very internal kind of first person. This is the this is Brad Pitt's character's experience. And Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, on the other hand, is very sort of third-person objective, it yeah. seems like to me.
1: It, 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 it floats in and out, but it is. We're observers. We're flies on the wall more in, in Quentin's movie than we are in, 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 in uh, James's James' movie, movie yeah. because of the very nature of what they are. And, and James' movie is much more literary uh, in, in a traditional sense. It's it's almost novelistic, you right. know. And um, and uh, it's funny. I, I was in Germany this past fall and I got a phone call from a, a friend who's uh, Marco Spagnoli is a, a prominent Italian documentary director and his film actually opened the Rome Film Festival this year in, in October and he called me up and we're, we're in Br- Munich and headed towards Paris and he said listen uh, we're going to have a conference at the Italian Space Agency now who knows there's an Italian space <laughs> they're nuts for space in Italy is huh. you know and um, I would like to surprise them and see if you would mind. You know, he thought I was still in the states. He says, "If you would mind skyping in as one of the contributors in the panel, yeah. because we're going to have a screening of the film at the agency with all these scientists, oh, and then talk about and talk about the movie." Uh-huh. And and I and I said, "Sure, I'm, I'm happy to help." How can you know? And so we we made a date, and we're we're. But it turns out we're on a Friday night at. Driving in the, in the pouring rain on the Autobahn at 140 kilometers an hour and I'm in the passenger seat and the guy who's running the whole You know thing that we're doing is six of us doing this conf- you know these these uh, seminars in, in Germany and France and, we're, you know, and And he says well, we're gonna do it at 11 o'clock So we timed ourselves to go to a McDonald's because they have great Wi-Fi at McDonald's <laughs> in Germany So that and we're gonna do it on a phone, you know, it's like okay and I get a I get a text at about a, a ten fifteen. Listen, we finished early. Can we do it Can at ten thirty? Well. <laughs> and I said, okay, let's give it a shot. So he said, so go ahead and click in. And so I get visual with no with no sound in the, the car in the car in my hand my iPhone. Yeah. No, I'm sorry. No plug intended. Yeah. Uh, and I see them. There's a twenty foot high screen about this size, and there's Marco in Italian with three or four panelists talking about the movie, and he sends me a text, okay, go ahead and punch in so that we've got video on you. And I'm like, I hope this holds up. You know, yeah. Unfortunately, the Audubon has really good,
0: you know. Who knew? Yeah.
1: And next thing I see... As I'm holding this in my hand, is my head twenty feet tall <laughs> <laughs> behind these guys? You uh-huh. know, in a car, going, you know, just jamming. Yeah. And the guys in the car, half of them are asleep because we've been, you know, on the road all, all day. And then, and, and, and then, suddenly, a hand comes around with an iPhone with a light on for a key light, and nice. another guy, you know, and everybody's like, "What the hell's going on?" You know, because they didn't know about this. Only the dry, the person who was head of the thing knew about it. And we do a 15 minute interview about what is it that you. Think about when you're going to do sound for this movie, space movie, and right. I said, well, there's two areas. There's the, the all the organic internal, you know, humanist things, the the breathing, the the you know the the uh, limitations of being in suits and ships that have artificial environments, and that, and then there's this incredible wilderness void of space. It's virtually opposite, and right. so to sort of design our, our approach and sound around those two things. So very internal, intimate. One, you know, close miking inside those spacesuits was very challenging, kind of thing to sure. to do. The plus the communication, <clears throat> and then the all this external stuff. So so it's it's a, it's for me a perfect example of the of as you described this you know uh, first person. Yeah. Inside, internal. Right. Um and uh, it's not often, actually, that a film will be as pure in that way as that film was. But, um, and, and to go next, and, and it was not an easy film. It wasn't easy for Brad, it wasn't easy for James. James's history is, you know, many more organic... This is a very
0: different kind of movie for James. It's a
1: high-end science fiction, CGI, effects-driven... Big stakes, com- big money,
0: it, it, big studio involvement. Truly, sure,
1: and and by the way, when we, we did a reshoot with... Uh, Caleb Deschanel, by the way, did the reshoots mm-hmm. for Hoyta. Right in the middle is when the purchase of Fox by Disney took place, because the film right. was originally going to get released earlier, and and the, everybody was so glad that it had it got pushed you know to a later release because it was a better time in the year for the film and the mm-hmm. film got great recognition in Europe they loved it in Venice they loved you know there's just mm-hmm. and so uh, uh, you know and and but it was a struggle film to do because of the physicality of things yeah. you know just the sheer complexity of physicality and Quentin's film was the virtual opposite of that it was it was like being in you know your 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 you know strawberry fields forever. We were in heaven. You can, you
0: can never really tell, but it looked like you guys were having a lot of fun on that movie.
1: I had friends on that show. The Gaffer and I <laughs> know each other for forty years. Bob and I working together eighteen, nineteen years. And
0: you've been working with Quentin for twenty plus twenty five years, now, years right? at this point. We, yeah. yeah,
1: we met on um, we met on Robert Rodriguez's um, Desperado right. in Acuna, Mexico, which is a very dangerous you know drug drug heavy border town. And Quentin came down. For about three days to cameo in the film. And when he left, he left. Pulp Fiction hadn't been released yet. He sent us a print actually to watch before the release. And so, like, we got to see Pulp Fiction in a little, you know, community theater in in Del Rio. uh, You know, it blew our minds. We had no idea, you know, what we, you know, uh, it was like amazing. And then um, after that, we did um, Robert's next film was actually *Dust Till Dawn*, right. which Quentin wrote, produced, and acted in. Right. And that's when we he and I I think connected and bonded, and everything since, you know, Jackie Brown forward, every every film since. Yeah. The only thing we haven't done together was his um, two episodes at CSI. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm I'm blessed. I want to collect the whole set. So I'm I'm you know uh, I really have a um, you know there's a there's a light over me that has been you know. You know, good fortune to have that collaboration with him.
0: You know, at Astra, my uh, my feeling is that that was primarily uh, on sound stages. It was. That's right. And then not everything, but it was primarily. That's correct. And then once upon a time in Hollywood is primarily located on a lot of locations. Hundred. I
1: think we had. God, I think it was almost. Two hundred locations. One hundred and seven speaking parts. Yeah. uh, You know, the the, the cast list goes on and on and on, you know, Al Pacino, Tim Roth. You know, there are scenes with great actors doing great stuff that are not in the movie. Right. um, By virtue of, you know, how that comes down, you know, when when you're constructing a film. So, yes.
0: And obviously, the location stuff makes your job, that has a different set of challenges for you. That's right.
1: Or opportunities, depending on your... Your, your perspective,
0: what, what, but one of the questions I wanted to ask you was because I and you're going to have to explain this to me. So I, I have read that there is no ADR in Quentin's films; like he gets it all on the set. It's really true. So, but you have these, you know, locations are notoriously noisy. How do you? How do? You, how are you able to achieve that?
1: Well, did you ever see Galaxy Quest? Dean of course, love that
0: Dean Paraso's film. Loved it. Loved Dean.
1: Never give up. Never surrender. <laughs>
0: That's your, that's or, your... Fail, or
1: another way of saying it is failure cannot cope with persistence. Right. Um, you stay in the game. What is this shot? What are we doing? Where does it fit? How can we solve if there's, you know, first of all, you need to be in an environment where the intrinsic nature of filmmaking is there will be competing elements. Sure. This element is fantastic for the scene, but it bumps up against this element, whether it's it's lighting, camera, sound, or wardrobe, or props, or and, and the, the, true, the true definition of filmmakers, which is what is the highest compliment I think any of us can have is that we're filmmakers, is the intense commitment to finding the solution to that collaboration so that it's not quarantined off into some territorial thing. How do we make this work? And so that means it needs to be a safe, there needs to be safety in engaging in the concern, If there, and for me, as I've gotten older and and have had to deal with thousands of those kinds of circumstances all year in year out, I, 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 my threshold is: did it break connection with the character? Mm-hmm. Is what happened here or what's happening in terms of the soundtrack? And it's particularly you know essential with Quentin because he, what you see is going to be in the movie, right? And so your mix is not some temporary thing, and it's not accumulation of discrete elements that's going to be. You know, you know, you're laying the bed. He's right. old school when it comes to filmmaking. He's an absolute student of filmmaking and he trusts that. There's no video village, mm-hmm. you know? So we're not taking the $500,000 a day high-profile pri- actor and walking over to the, to the village. I mean, it's a great tool. We really need it for very specific
0: things. And but you probably used it quite a bit on Ad Astra because for very obvious reasons, Essential was, sure, for sure. there because <clears throat> the kinds of things that were
1: going on there, you know? But in, in Quentin's universe, you're, it's one camera, it's 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 designed. We have a strong sense of where we're coming from when we get there. The actors have been in rehearsal for weeks beforehand, so they they they're not just finding the camera. They
0: they're, they're they've they've gotten a leap ahead. And Quentin is parked by the camera. He's
1: right there. He's sitting next to the camera with them. He doesn't say, you know, did we get that? He turns to the operator, which is also the director of photography.
0: Right. You know.
1: That's it. And then, well, almost. He, he'll also say, we've got that. Right but let's do one more, let's get the little sister, which is what he would call it, and why are we gonna do that? And the entire crew will come back in concert in unison, because we love making movies. You know, you'll, you'll, at, it might be four in the morning, but you're gonna, you know, right. and, it's, and it's, it's, uh, uh, it's just you know invigorating. You can't, you know, uh, intoxicating is actually the better word, and, and that's the thing. He creates a, a, a universe of trust for the actors. First of all, they feel completely safe. They mm-hmm. can go anywhere, they can do anything. Um, but within a defined framework of the story that he's brought them in to create, and so, you know, there's rarely intensive improv, but there will be moments like Leo's Leo's losing it in the trailer scene. Right. That's right. Leo. Yeah. And Quentin, you know, scene. he knows if he lights the fuse and lets it rip, it's going to be something. Something special, sure. You know, um, and he knows when he has to, you know, pull in the reins too. There are other actors that really need they need a hug around them to kind of keep it on target, keep it, and, and, and he knows the difference between the two, or if it's shifting. Yeah, you know, he's 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 an actor's director. He's a writer who directs and a director who writes, and you know, it doesn't unbalance on either side. It's like. Uh,
0: if we could clone him. So anyway, that's. So, that's but let me. I, I want to. I want to dig into this a little bit more because I got. So, but what you're saying works because partially because Quentin makes it a priority to get good, clean dialogue tracks.
1: And it's not about the sound. Right. That's Same the thing more. to remember. It's about. It's about the performance. Right. He trusts what he experiences as the performance there on the day. Right. He has the third eye to see that and know. You know, if it were Marilyn Monroe or Gary Cooper, where they looked dead and wooden not on the set, but, you know, Billy Wilder knew that take, the camera take, was, catching the camera the, you know, on the screen, oh my God, you know, yeah. nobody yeah. on the set could see it except Wilder, you know, but maybe not even him every day, sure. but yeah. so he, he trusts that. Right. And so he wants the performance that happens in front of him. And so he makes that as part of the arrangement when we're doing it. now it doesn't mean he is ridiculous about that. It just means he trusts the need to support that process. For example, okay, on Hateful Eight, right? Mm-hmm. We have all these amazing scenes that are on the road. I mean uh, up up at eleven thousand feet in real stage coaches mm-hmm. that are gonna be one t- one at a time t- once at one take because the snow's gone and we're you know, it's the light's gone and there's only Four hours of the right line. you know. yeah, A
0: stagecoach was a noisy environment.
1: So in pre-production, I'm in collaboration at a complete access and co- cooperation with the stagecoach building unit. They're part of the art department, but these guys are specialists in building stagecoaches from scratch. So we're in a conversation about insulating material between the wood to metal contact, mm-hmm. and and you know uh, how the brakes are built. You know in terms of you know the noise level that you know we're in a. Collaborative conversation, preempting the obvious, so that on the day when we're in the scene with the actors doing that, their space has been maximized in its protection.
0: And you also know what's coming, so you don't have a freak out moment when you go uh, set.
1: That's right. We've been on a scout. Uh, we, we scouted Django Unchained in, in Louisiana maybe seven weeks before principal began. And when we came back, I'd say 80% of the shot descriptions and intentions expressed on that scout were what Quentin, Quentin did.
0: Hmm.
1: Now, that, you know, it's not Hitchcock, where, you know, it's a storyboard, storyboard or die. It was, you know, fl- fluid, but you really have a roadmap. Right. You can come at it, and, and you must always caution yourself, though, the grain of salt you need to know that a complete surprise could be thrown your way 30, 15 <laughs> seconds before <laughs> rolling, yeah. and be ready. You know, be ready, you know, uh, on uh, Death Proof, we're doing interior scenes with nine people on a porch, and it's inside, but it's a tin roof, and he wants rain. Sure. Pouring rain. Not only pouring rain, it's in a stage. So there's a big drainage system that's pumping water out, and and yet, and yet, you know, we do and use all of the tools that we have to maximize the possibility. Yeah. And those tools have gotten
0: better over the years too. Well, I wanted to ask you about that because um, you, you had made a, you mentioned that very early on. How has your work changed um, since over the course of your career? And I'm asking in, two, in two, twofold, two facets, technically, but also has the aesthetics of your job changed over the course of your career?
1: Um let me answer those separately because they're they interact they're in, they inter, inter, interact with each other but they're they're different mm-hmm. the tools have been in a constant flow of evolution but great sound took place in 80 90% of the films made historically with a single microphone or two microphones in one track right. because of the storytelling I trust that process to a great extent. So, uh, you know, give me a, a you know a, a perfectly tuned Shep's microphone, a, a, a brilliantly talented boom operator, um, actors that are skilled, and I'm going to run with that. Yeah. That said. The expansion of our tools to nonlinear file-based recording and the ability—and I learned—I was really lucky to have a, to, to mix a Robert Altman film in the late '80s. I did which one? The Cane Mutiny Court Martial, which oh, almost nobody knows, but yeah. it was amazing. In fact, Herman Wook just died this last week. He was 104 years old. But Herman had written the original stage play, and we shot it as a play, as a film. In uh, was that?
0: But was that for television or was it uh, both? Okay. It was,
1: we shot it in Port Townsend, uh, Washington, and. And it was for CBS, mm-hmm. for domestic and theatrical for overseas. Interesting. Um, and Bob was in exile at the time. You know, he was in he movie was jail. In, he was in movie jail. Yeah. But he had Herman Wouk there, and his son Joe Wouk was a producer. And he had difficult issues with the, with the broad, you know, with the with the uh, network. They wanted to know why Brad Davis was, you know, he was t- too short. <laughs> I mean, it's a character piece. It's written, in, you know, you know, you just. So So
0: Altman famously everybody had their had a microphone everybody had their own track
1: and but this is in 1987 right there's no nonlinear file base anything i'm on i'm on half inch eight track with you know uh, dbx units and you know it's like oh my god you know it's just you're limited
0: to eight tracks
1: seven you need one for sync so (laughs) but that's is that a limit you know Sergeant peppers was done on four tracks sure and bouncing you know it's the ideas that are there you know I, i think the technology suits. The ideas. It doesn't limit the ideas. If you have the idea, then you find a way to make that. That's my my sense of it. So, but having that experience, we also boomed extensively. All of that, you know, everything was a folk mag take, eleven minutes. But it was a great revelation in my brain in advance of the tools that we now have, mm-hmm. as to what facility you can have by having other choices simultaneously, discrete tracks, taking the music studio approach and putting it out in the field. Right. Um, it lets you do things that you, you know, the court reporter has got, you know, very specific kind of sound and sync, and in take three, he's gonna come across the court reporter, not in five or seven, but he might come back to it in take eight. And, mm-hmm. and so, when you can do discrete capture of particular things in a synchronous way, um, you start really building the level of the, 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 the portfolio of, of material captured for the telling of the scene and with a director like Bob Altman who could care he has absolutely no no had no commitment at all to things like prospect all the traditional uh, you know uh, uh, the rules uh, of the those rules yeah. yes the rules yeah. you know his first gig as a studio director he got shit canned because he insisted on overlapping dialogue
0: right and that and that wasn't done back
1: that then. wasn't done and that bruised him and he luckily hooked up with Jim Webb and later Bob Gravener Webb came out of the military, but he was doing live concert stuff, and he had been hooking up with a guy named Stevens, who had hand-building half-track reel-to-reels, 8-tracks, and, and and Webb met with, you know, started with Bob on uh, California uh, Splits, I think it was, and uh, and ended up doing Nashville and, yeah. and you know, uh, all these other iconic Altman yeah. films that changed the way we think about sound in movies, and, and so... How did working with Altman change your approach? this particular piece, first of all, you throw all you think out the window, and this is the key thing that has stuck with me ever since, it started before, but it really, you cannot come with ideology to the set. You must be open Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and ready to learn, be a student of this project, of this movie, of this shot. Be a perpetual uh, sponge and learner to, to accommodate the intent. Don't say, you know, once you're on board, you signed on, you're in the Merchant Marine, you're on the journey, you know. Don't be in a constant conflict with yourself about that. Be a student of what is the real intent of, of the director and find, you need to get that trust relationship happening on day one or two or you're screwed.
0: I wanted to ask you about this because you have worked with some amazing directors in your career. You've obviously worked with Quentin, you just worked with James, you've worked with uh, Paul Thomas Anderson, you've worked yeah. with Robert Altman. You've you know, I, I work a lot with students, and and students always you left want, out Cameron, by the way. I, I forgot about you. Yeah. I shouldn't that, have forgot about I, guy, shouldn't have, guy, shouldn't have, yes. I, I shouldn't have forgotten about about Jim Cameron. Um, the, you know, the students when I talk with them, they always want advice on like, how do I get into the industry? How do I? And they're looking for like, you know, how technically, how do I do the job? How do? And one of the conversations that I love having with them is about yeah, you have to be able to technically execute, but. By far, the most important part of the job is actually who you are on the set, and how you show up. Sets are—they can be tense. There's a lot. You it's, think it's very—it's <laughs> high stakes. You've got you know, and especially the kind of movies that you work on. Yeah. Very high stakes. No
1: margin for error. Sometimes You're, very
0: difficult. Dir, you know, directors. Especially
1: shooter. if you have a reputation, because now and you work with movie stars, and that just adds another layer of. But, but, you know, but it can be a deficit. Reality. If you're not someone who relaxes into the intensity, Mm -hmm. if you're a nervous Nelly, this might not be the line of work (laughs) for you. But if you can be passionately enjoying the the you know the 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 fighter pilot journey of you know you know you know muscling through shitstorms you know back to back as as the most fun in the world, um, then then it can work for you. So, but but okay. So so what do you so for me. Yes, it's onset persona, you know, for me it's, you know, the island of serenity and the sea of chaos is a very useful kind of sure. comforting thing for, but, but, but behind that, to get to that, you can't fake that. Right. So how do you get to that is the other piece of advice that I try to get, we teach a lot. I, I do a lot of workshops around, around the world, frankly, and, yeah. and, uh, um, and I think it, it, it comes down to a few things, and this goes back to, to, to being a musician. First of all, get good, right. be, be a relentless perpetual student. You know, Segovia and uh, uh, you know, all the great musicians were pra- still practicing every day in their 90s. Why? Practice wanted, your craft. They right. wanted to get better, they wanted to stay relevant, they wanted to stay facile. Become fluent in the instrument, but don't mistake technique for art. Mm-hmm. Technique is foundational to art, so what does that mean? It means become a filmmaker. Be, a, be an absolutely dedicated student of film. See every film you can possibly see. See films that fascinate you, that puzzle you, that, that you hate, that you love. Become a reservoir uh, of, of the literature of that as a foundational point of departure because you're a part of that continuity ultimately. Right. If you survive career-wise into being given the, 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 the privilege of participating, you're, Work today. I I was part of a, a, you know, up at the Egyptian. Or last year, we Petrushka and I were part of of a of a panel on. On uh, Cujo and the and Pet Cemetery as these iconic, you know, I, I'm like when we did those 80s, mo-
0: 80s horror. You didn't think you were working on something iconic no. when you did those. My right. first
1: film for Roger Corman was Slumber Party Massacre, you know, <laughs> and it was directed by Amy Jones Chapman, Michael Chapman's wife, and written by Rita Mae Brown, the, the 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 famous Rita Mae Brown, Rita, that? The, the the famous feminist yeah. author. Yeah. And the the fundamentals of Roger's film was every 15 minutes, some 16 year old nubile woman would be murdered with a power drill. And that was, you know, including the pizza delivery guy, you know, so, um, but it created for me in those days, I suddenly, I was at Rogers for a year, I was with the last generation of what I call Rogers Graduate School. Right. You know, so many people came through there and their careers emerged because he put them under load in real, in real terms and they came out of there. And I, Battle I Battle tested know, and ready. I was, at 27, <laughs> right? I had six or seven features on my resume, you know, out of nowhere. And I knew not a soul when I came to Los Angeles, nobody. I, it was like, you know. And so, we graduated to Canon Films after that. Uh, <laughs> you really moved <laughs> I, up in I, the world. I, I, I talked with Roger about this, you yeah. know, because he would sit at night in the, in the, in the dailies room with the, the DP, the director, the mixer, and anybody else, and he would teach, you know, if we did this, you know, and director, can I get a telecom? No, you can have a ladder, you know, but, you know. <laughs> but you were really making movies. Right. With authority over you, having to deliver, A schedule on time, you know, you were not in some hypothetical.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. And he created that. And then he sold it, you know, and and that went away. You know, it it stopped happening. So I I really feel fortunate because it coincided with my generation. Uh, We're really the first Hollywood generation of fine arts majors to come into the crafts Mm -hmm. before us It was father to son closed shop and all the rest of that sort of bunch of litigations in the 70s that sort of broke that sort of open but we were sort of like the uh, um, The English majors of the 50s.
0: Yeah, that's right We were the
1: film majors of the of the 70s coming into into professional realm in, in the 80s so it's a special Community actually of people who, who are now we're now the old guys. How that I don't know how that happened, but you know it, it's it's the the way way it it, it's the way it works. So uh, I hope that answers that. I mean, yeah. I kind of got
0: off into a, a no. I, I really, I really, I, I really appreciate that. So, it's... so for students, let me let me yeah. bring
1: that back around. It's this thing of um, approach your your education holistically. Mm-hmm be respectful above and below your station in any circumstance that you're in. Mm-hmm. You don't know that that third that third, you know, electrician isn't going to be the head of the studio in 2 years because of the of, the, of his incredible talent at writing. Right. You don't you come from that place of mutuality and respect and bring that onto the set. Don't let your fear and your anger drive your daily work. Set your ego, have an ego, but channel it to the work, mm-hmm. to the project not to some sense of your personal sphere of, of jurisdiction, of territory. Yeah. You know, if you can stay selfless in the pursuit of yourself, you know, the, the Spencer Tracy dictum on the power know, I you know, take your work very seriously, but don't take yourself so seriously. You yeah. can survive because now you can adapt like musicians, session players do to all the different leaderships that they have to engage in to become, you know, fluent. Fluent in your instrument but fluent in your, your, your diplomacy so that you not only can survive but that you can enjoy. If you don't project a sense of enjoyment that's genuine, that's authentic, um, I, this isn't the thing. You're going to be working 80, 90. It's ridiculous. It's completely uncivilized
0: working on movies. You it's know? true. And if you don't have that sense of joy about your work, you're probably not going to get invited to come back again on the next one. Uh, by all means. You know? And you're not going to be that good. Right. Because you're gonna
1: you're gonna become you know dogmatic about approach can't do it that way you know that you know they can't overlap what do you mean they can't oh yeah right. see ya you know um, not only can they overlap but you better get that in ways that are absolutely functional for the storytelling that's happening with that
0: because you never do know it th- great don't just it. do it do this, it
1: great this director may completely change the form
0: with what they're with what they're no doing. question
1: yeah. no you know so so be open to the possibility of of discovering something new. That's right. what art's about, you right. know? It's a, it's a mystery. You know, what's the line in, in uh, Shakespeare, uh, you know, in love? You know, it is a mystery. You know, Jeff uh, Rush, you know, right. it is a mystery, you know? It's a, and, and love that mystery.
0: Do you stay uh, in touch with the, the post production teams as they're going, as they're mixing the film? You, you, you I do. You, I, you've... I,
1: I, in pre production? Yeah. During production? We are a triangle, we're like a stool. Right. You know, um, not everybody sees it that way. Not only everyone who does what I do sees it that way, but if you if you look closely, you'll find the you know Lee Orloff and Peter Devlin and Ron Judkins and you know all of all of the we're all of the same age and same journey. We all have that you know fine arts thing about we're here as collaborators as right. contrib- creatives. You know the sound area is one of the least recognized as creatives in production in people for people who you know why would we want to take the sound mixer on the, on the tech scout. You know, we'll tell them. Yeah. Well, maybe it's not just seeing those locations and being a canary in the cave for possible you know, obstacles to the work, but also to witness the dynamic going on between the director and the, and the DP and the first AD and the fights they may or may not have and the ideas that they're revealing and as they're unfolding in the physical presence. You know, There's so much of, of inclus- inclusion that, that supports the project. In ways that are not going to be, you know, something that shows up on on a on a on a, on a, on a, a, a statement, a financial document. Sure. Um, you know, David Lean said when the AFI did that big thing, you know, let the bean counters be in partnership with the creatives, not in not over, not under, but together. And not in an opposition. And not in an right? opposition. Yeah. You know, that we're not. You're not enemies. <laughs> you know, if it doesn't work, everybody suffers. Sure. And it's hard enough to get it to work when everything's right, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Look at Cats, oh my God, you know, or any, I'm sorry. Hey, don't I, you be knocking cats. I, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> I love S- Simon's a friend and the man, the, the soundtrack is magnificent, you know, it's just, no, but the point I'm making is that that um, the very worst movies are as hard to make as the very best
0: movies. That's right, and, and the, we all know there are a million and one ways they can go wrong. I,
1: truly, you know, yeah. and so, so why, why, Put obstacles into front end. You know, share the information. Yeah. Um, bring your bring your creatives. The problem with sound is it's not always recognized as you know. We're kind of the alchemists. We're the oddball. You know, and what we do is invisible. Oh, there are those
0: machines. Yeah. And people don't understand it.
1: Those machines. Right. That's what they do. They're like my you know. And I don't. Not a knock at plumbers. God, I you know. Can you imagine a world without plumbers? We'd be in really. No, no never mind. I, I but, see where you're going with that. I <laughs> was not. I, but. Respect. Yeah. This is the point, you know. Respect c- people who are compassionate and committed to the discipline. I get so many questions from friends who are going to do their own pri- personal project. I'm I doing a project. I really have no p- resources. I don't
0: really need a sound what's, guy. What's, do
1: what's, like? what's the what's the microphone I should get to solve this? Yeah. And I, I always I, I'm like, how long are you working in the what business? How long have you known me? Not just yeah. me, but you know, <laughs> you what your best tool, your cheapest option, right, is to. Get an individual who's passionately committed to right. executing your intent yeah. each and every day in that realm, the way your DP does, your yeah. production designer does, your editor. I don't you know, want do you
0: care if people hear your dialogue? You, I
1: don't. Your, <laughs> your, you, why quarantine that right. away just because it's not... and the film schools are not doing this. They're not teaching it. That's right. And even there's a very prominent and famous film school based here in Hollywood, Not not it's it's not one of the universities. It it has three initials, and I won't say. And I've I've spoken there.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, they don't teach sound. Yeah. They have hundreds of photographs in the halls there. Not one of them has uh, you know an iconic sound pioneer or creator. Yeah. Um, they hire sound people to do their student films. That's right. Instead of teaching, what is a profoundly you know significant career? A boom operator, first rate, triple A. They're they're at six figures a year in in in, in, a, in a career. You know, th- this is not, we're, we're, you know, so so it's a weird disconnect in Hollywood yeah. in, in that way sometimes, yeah. so I probably treaded on some toes there. I, have to, I just sorry. have
0: one final question for sure. you. Are you religious about getting room tone?
1: No. <laughs> I am not. I had been in an era where we were not doing the work the way we do it now. Um, but the truth is, if you speak to anybody who's in post right now, they almost won't ever use the room tone, because the room tone, we've done the scene from 9 a.m. to noon, we broke for lunch, and then we came back at, at 1.30, and now the traffic's different out there, and the lights the, room,
0: are, the tone changes, right, through the day, sure. And
1: it's always an approximation. It's, it it ha, has been sort of a iconic, special tool, but the way room tone's done today is they go into the scene, and they find all of the spaces between the words in the scene and they build the tone from the scene itself so right. it's absolutely invisible when it's applied. And it's a much better approach to making room tone. So, there will be times where there's a unique...
0: Thing uh, that you need thing
1: to that right. is particular and signature to an environment. And in that circumstance, yes. And there's another piece that I'll do now that I wasn't doing then which is, depending on what the nature of the scene is, I will also do simultaneous synchronous effects and ambience recordings in five one, separate from the scene. Oh, really? To build, if if there's something environmentally that's significant. Can you in give a me exa-
0: an example of? Hatefully uh, we, you, you know,
1: go. you know, we're in all these wilderness spaces, and there's a kind of special silence. <laughs> sure. And and you know, in that movie, also the wind was a character, and uh, an orchestration. The wind was it was almost in many ways, the score of the movie, mm. and we would create versions of wind everywhere. There 30 different kinds of snow and wind, and it was my biggest worry about that film, but I also tested extensively with isotope in those days, which mm-hmm. evolved quite a bit since then, but it was still, you know, those days, I guess mean, it was four years ago, five years ago. Um, the idea that we could mitigate specific things that in the past would be unimaginable is a tool we have now. And it's right. essential for production people to be knowledgeable about that evolution in post, to go sit in the mix in the mixed sure. stage, That's right. to understand, to go to symposiums about the teaching of those things, even if they're designed around the post community, know your tools, know your instruments. You know no no, the d- drummers have what two I don't know if you're a musician or not, I'm but not okay, it. well, in drumming there's two grips that are dominant you know for for conventional drumming. one is called the conventional grip, which is two different axes, sure. uh-huh. and the other is match grip, which is like mallets, but a lot of rock drummers do you know and so there's there's this endless debate like beta cam you know v h s right which is and the answer is. Dummy, it's both. You sure. need both. They each have function. They each have application. They do, and they do different things. And you're fully, you're fully equipped if you know fluently both of those both of those techniques because they have specific purposes and they're not the enemy of each other. It's crazy to to, to you know, so that's the kind of thing that film students should there's a this is a big generalization, but there's a potential for film students to have a um, a bias mm-hmm. about the process, about themselves, about what is, you know, and, and sometimes that gets very much in the way of the outcome. And it's it's really, to you know, this idea of learn how to be selfless in the project, and your self will emerge through that selflessness. It's a very zen kind of thing, but but uh, it it's really true. Yeah, you know, a Bob Richardson, you know, who is sure. this, you know, ten times nominated, three Oscars, and, you know,
0: and nominated again.
1: And, yeah, this is the tenth time. And and Quentin calls him Oscar Richardson the Third. You know, <laughs> uh, that's his nickname <laughs> on the set. Uh, I'm the Bear, which I'm trying to move away from uh-huh. because it's not for good reasons. Um, is is a perfect example of applying that ego towards the project and not towards the self in my territory. Mm. These guys have nothing to prove right. except to try and contribute to the specifics of the thing they're involved in with all they have, every bit. And um, when I see that, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm done. I'm, I, commitment is, is, is you know, the most sexy thing I can think of in the world is, no seriously, yeah. in, in a film set, when musicians can come together and, and communicate nonverbally, that same thing happens on a movie set. Sure does. And the shorthand of that gives so much, so much more resource back to the director, so much freedom of energy that isn't directed around trying to be micromanaging all of these other things because of the trust that comes out of knowing his musicians know how, what he's doing and interprets his intent, he's now free to be inside that, that bubble with the actors and make everything that could happen, happen.
0: Mm-hmm. That's great. Well, Mark, I th- it's been a great conversation. I hope so. Thank hope you so, so much for coming on the show sure. and for doing this. Um, Mark Ulano, congratulations. This is your third and fourth nominations. True. And you uh, won an Oscar previously for Titanic.
1: The boat movie, yeah, that's true. That
0: boat movie. <laughs> so who knows what will happen in a couple of weeks? I had Theater. no
1: expectation. This year, is there's so much great work out there. There's the... You know that we have music movies, we have car Mm -hmm. movies, we have war movies. You know these are these are predominantly and the and the uh, constituency in the branch which nominates is predominantly post production -production folks. You know it's 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 like an eighty five to fifteen percent. Well, but now it's
0: going to be in the hands of the actors, right? And now, well, everybody, (laughs) yes,
1: but that's true. And you know, so uh, I don't. I just being. Just being sort of kissed and hugged by your, your colleagues. It's a is, cliche
0: that the honor is to be nominated, but in the, and with the Oscars, it actually is really true because really the nomination is coming from your peers and it's, your branch.
1: Especially right. in sound, right. especially in sound because the people who do sound, they know. That's right. <laughs> and they're, they, they you know, um, and you know, you'll talk to Mike and, and, and Wiley tomorrow and Chris, and they'll, you know, they're, they're of the same stripe. They're always looking for the best version of something. They're always trying to feel the, the subtleties of mood in the director and anticipate in response by, by the old, the evolved relationship, right. and it shows up in the work. I don't, I don't know how you feel about Once Upon a Time, but for me, it's a transitional film mm-hmm. in many ways. It, it's, it's about gratitude, um, acceptance, and love and all kinds of themes that people would never attribute to, to Quentin. But if you look closely at his other films, they're there. But here, it's really, I, I was part of a, a Q&A. I'm sorry, I know we're done. But Q&A at the Academy, for the Academy screening of the film for the sure. members. Mm-hmm. They turned to, over 200 people away because Amazing. he couldn't get in and they had a second screening. But at the end of that screening, now that's not a demographic normally, you would just, you know, affiliate with Quentin's big, biggest fan base. Sure. It's an older group. There, you know, there are other kinds of things. They were enthralled with the movie. They were in love with the movie. You could see it, and, and, and I, I just, I don't know. For me, I revere the Academy mm-hmm. because of its institutional history, what its significance is. With its flaws and blemishes and all the rest of that, I love, I love the institution as, as, a, as, as a sort of a steward or protector of you know, a certain kind of idealism Towards making movies, and um, and when when Quinton has, has reached that group, I know I know we're in new territory. Something's, something so, good has happened. Something good has happened. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I'll shut up now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's been a great conversation. It's been so much fun talking to you. Thank you, you for good. having me.
1: I I, I hope uh, you know I hope I've been able to contribute something here.
0: Absolutely. I'm here to
1: contribute, not to compete. That's that's you know. Sounds that's, good. That's and that's good luck in a
0: couple weeks at the Dolby Theater.
1: I've already had the good luck. Whatever happens now is just gravy. All know. right. Till next time.